my favorite line in that little video is, he pitched his tent in the middle of our mess. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The verse that we start with today is Proverbs 29, 18. The first part of that verse just simply says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In the King James, it even says, the people perish. That's such a great verse for vision casting Sunday. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. So what we're going to do today is I want to talk a little bit about some vision for us as a church for 2024. I know we still have a whole other month ahead of us, but we're going to be busy that month. So let's go ahead and talk it out now before our business meeting tonight and then look ahead with anticipation. Because really, when the pastor gets up and says, it's Vision Casting Sunday, people respond in two ways. One is with excitement, anticipation. Oh boy, we get our vision for the coming year. And the other way is with what they call archophobia, the fear of being controlled. Sometimes it's like people look at a vision of a church as something that's going to control them, something that's going to keep them from doing what they want to do or something like that. And it's a common fear. There's all kinds of triggers for this kind of fear besides the pastor saying, we're going to cast the vision for today. Sometimes people are afraid of being controlled because of the way that they were raised. They were maybe raised in a very controlling atmosphere and they want to push back against people. Maybe they work within a very controlling atmosphere. And so we want to push back for other people to tell us what to do, to be in control. There's all kinds of triggers. It might be past experiences. It might be times when something was out of your control and it didn't go well and you thought the best way to handle it would be for you to be in control. And it might just be, as a, all your ancestors, maybe they were controlling people and, you know, they, they feared being out of control and maybe that fear kept them alive through the generations and all this. And so you're just going to keep that gene going. You just want to be in control. You don't want to be out of control. But I want to tell you that when we're talking about the vision for our church, I'm trying to help you recognize that these are helpful patterns for the way for us to think. These, when things in the church get complicated, when they get complex, they don't really have to be. And we find ways to live within the flow of the church just to make sense out of things. The goal here this morning is, okay, I know the verse says, that where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But I don't really want you to be totally unrestrained. That's pretty chaotic. And that's not how we need to be as a church. So I want a little restraint. I want a little guidance to help us along the way. And I can only think of a really good gardener puts a stake in the ground or a cage around the tomatoes to guide them in their growth, to make them stronger and healthier. Maybe a shepherd 
walks the field before the flock ever gets there so that he knows ahead of time. He's prepared the way. And that's what our vision is going to do for us. That's going to help us prepare the way. So I don't want you to feel like, well, he's about to say we're going to rewrite the Constitution or we're going to, you know, change the name of the church or we're going to move from this site to another site. not going to do any of that today. Don't worry. Just want to talk about moving forward. Moving forward. So let's pray and let's move forward. Father God, your way is the way of life. Your truth is the truth of life. Your hand is the same hand that formed us out of the ground and breathed life into us. Why would it be any different for your church? You created us out of nothing, just like everything else. But you had a purpose then, you have a purpose now. Help us to find, to celebrate, and to pursue your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought we'd start with, you know, that verse back in Genesis 12. Actually, it's a lot of verses in Genesis 12 where God speaks to Abram. Very familiar passage, but let's go through it. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. There was already people there. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded to go from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the right. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on from there, continuing toward the Negev, the desert, the really desolate area. First thing I want to say is something that I have said for years. used to tell this to my students all the time. I have told it, I believe, to you before now also. But I'm always going to ask you to put your yes on the table before you ever hear the question from God. That's the attitude of heart that we need to have. We need to go forth from our familiar surroundings. We need to go forth where God's going to lead us to. And God never mentions to Abram, I need you to forget about everything that you ever were. I need, to for, need you to forget about your family. I need to forget about your history. I need you to do... No, He never says that to Abram. In fact, Abram takes all that knowledge with him into this land that he doesn't know even where he's going. 
God never says, go in unprepared. God says, go where I'll show you. And the assumption is, you already know some stuff, but don't expect to be the same person there that you were when I called on you. Things are going to be really different in this new land. Trust me. I will make of you. Very similar language that when he got ready to create Adam, he made him by his hands from the dust of the ground. He formed him. And he said, I will make of you. And what I've already put resident within you, I will use that. I will ignite that. I will inflame that. What's already there. And brother, you have no idea how your world is about to change. And Abram went forth and he took all his stuff and all his people and he went forth following God from here to here to here and he just kept going until God had him stop. Life as you know it is about to change. You could have never imagined. I'm going to make you a great nation, Abram. You're just this one old dude, 75 years old, and your wife is almost your same age. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I have a feeling Abram was already blessed. He had a wife. He had stuff. He had a history. His family was well established back in Haran. But God says, I'm going to bless you even more. You're going to have a name so great that just your very name will be a blessing. When people use your name, it will be as a blessing. When people hear your name, they will be blessed. I am going to make of you this person that is so blessed by me that when you bless someone, I'll bless them too. And when you curse someone, I'll curse them too. Don't mess with my boy Abram. And through you, Abram, all the world will be blessed. This is just a, a occurring again and again, this theme of blessing from God. Abram, you will be blessed and through you. And we know that to be Jesus. We know that to be the saying that through the line of Abram, all the births, all the, the family follow up. The whole world will seek the Messiah, the promised one, and will share the gospel, the good news. We saw the video. So here's this first passage in Genesis about going from where you're comfortable, going from where you're familiar. Not going to be too weird, but I'm just going to take you someplace new. Okay, that's always a great vision-casting verse. The other great vision-casting verse is in Joshua 3. The first 17 verses there. We'll break them down as we go, but the first 17 verses. This is the great challenge passage as they are about to enter into the promised land. Hundreds of years have passed since Abraham was first told to go into Canaan. Now they are going into Canaan to take it, to have dominion over this land that God has promised to the descendants of Abram, which are all these millions of 
Hebrews, millions of descendants by this time. Abram and Sarai, now millions. And they're going into the land to take it. We talked about this same passage in May of 22, so about a year and a half ago. We looked at this passage. Let me read through and stop in just a little bit in between. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim to came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set forth from your place and go after it. The, the word here is for the people to watch and be prepared. They knew what they were about. We're about to go in there, take the land. God's going to be with us. But they were told specifically, watch and see what I'm doing and get ready. Be prepared to move when you see this happen. There will be things that we must do and there'll be some things not to do. You will see a sign. You'll see the ark pass through the crowd here and you know it's ready. You'll see a sign and you need to be looking for the sign. What happens if you're not looking for the sign? The stop sign, the red light, the yield. What happens? It's not good. What happens when, husbands, what happens when your wife does that thing that she always does when she's about to ask you for something and you just miss it? You don't pay attention? It's not good. Wives, what happens when your husband, who is never great with words maybe, is about to ask you for something and you're just busy and you just miss it? Look for the sign, he's telling the people. Be anticipating it. Be looking for it. Verse 4, however, but there shall be between you and it, the, the ark of the Lord, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Watch and pray. Be looking. There's new territories ahead of you going into the promised land. Folks, I believe, I honestly believe, there are new territories for us as a church that God wants to move us into. What does that mean, Ken? I'm not sure. We'll unpack it together. But I believe that there's new territories. There will be things, like I said, that we must do to be obedient to God. There will be some things that we must not do in order to be obedient to God. But it's there before us, and He's telling us, you watch, I'll give you the sign. And if you're praying and if you're preparing, you'll be ready. Verse 5, it just simply says, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. This is a very intentional act. There's a spiritual element to pursuing God. I mean, that should go without saying. But for you to consecrate yourself, for you to follow Him, I mean, what the last thing I want us to do as a church, the last thing I want to do as the pastor of the church is to make a bunch of plans and ask God to come bless our plans. 
Because we're really good at making plans. We need to be better at listening to God's plan. We need to consecrate ourselves, to prepare ourselves. God will do stuff, and we just have to be ready. In consecrating yourself, focusing on God, this is not an accidental activity. Oh, look, I'm consecrated. Whoa, how did that happen? No, not going to happen that way. You're going to have to seek after God. You're going to have to seek to do the things God wants you to do, not do the things God doesn't want you to do. You're going to have to seek His preparation and consecrate, focus, purify, whatever it takes yourself to be ready to move. And after He said for them to consecrate, He then said, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You got to be looking ahead. You can't just look at your feet. You can't just see where you are. You've got to be looking ahead. You've got to be futuristic in your thinking. You have to be tomorrow God's going to do something. He's going to do something wondrous. It's not today. It may not just happen instantly that God does something in this church. We're seeing Him move. I'm hearing people talk. I'm seeing God work in individual lives and groups of people. I'm seeing God move. But the whole thing may not come together, you know, by Wednesday so that you can sit around the table on Thanksgiving Day and be thankful for all the Lord has done. There's going to be things left undone probably. But as a church, we need to be looking ahead. God will do wonders on His time, by His hand, in His way, not ours. And the hard part for the pastor as well as you is to try to figure out what does that mean? What is God wanting to do? Well, it's simple, Ken. It's right there in black and white in the Bible. Yeah. It's how do I apply the teachings that are thousands of years old to today, to this culture, to this time? The last section of the verses are verse 6 through 17. He's told them to get ready. He's told them to be anticipating. He's told them to be consecrated and ready to respond when they see the ark. He says to them, Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant, cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know just as I have been with Moses I will be with you you shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the ark of the covenant saying when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan you shall stand still in the Jordan Joshua said to the sons of Israel come here and hear the words of the Lord your God in other words this is not just me I want you to hear what God's saying Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite, all those Canaanites who are living in this land. He's going to move them out before you. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, Take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come 
about when the soles of your feet, of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the water of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, when the priests carrying the ark of the covenant before the people, and when those who had carried the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan flows at its banks all the days of harvest, the water which are flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, a city that is near Zarethan. Those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite of Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing into Jordan. How exciting is it to stand in the middle of the river and not get wet? That's what I'm inviting us to do as a church. To learn how to stand in the middle of the river of our day, of our world, and not be wet, not be covered by it. To be different. This plan is far more intricate and far more complex than all these people imagined. But this is what God's going to do. This is the land he promised Abram, and now hundreds of years later, they're about to go take it. Many of you have heard me talk about this book I've been reading. I've mentioned it, I think I mentioned it at the last business meeting we had a little bit, and I know I've talked about it a lot with my chosen generation at the luncheon we did for our older adults, Canoeing the Mountains. This book is all about Lewis and Clark's expedition to find that supposed amazing passageway from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. Everybody knew it was going to be there. All the countries who had inhabited the northern part of the American continent knew that there was a passageway. Nobody knew where it was. And so President Roosevelt said this in 1804, the object of your mission, talking to Lewis and Clark, is to explore the Missouri River and such principal stream of it, in other words, where it begins, as by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean may offer the most direct and practical water communication across the continent for the purposes of commerce. 1804, he is sending them out to find this way so that they can establish business between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. They knew it was there, they just didn't know where. So they formed this core of discovery, this group of men that were going to go. It wasn't a huge group, it was about 38 people, really. They were all river explorers and they got their best stuff together and they put it in their best boats and they took off and they went up the Missouri River against the current to try to find where it began and then they, they thought they'd find the Columbia on the other side that would flow straight down to the west coast. 
they got higher and higher in elevation. And from the notes of one of the people journaling and writing about this trip, on August the 12th, 15 months of travel up the river, 1805, he wrote this, They followed a small trail up a creek and now where the spring itself. This little trickle was the source of the mighty Missouri River. This water should flow all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And with each stride, Lewis was nearing what he expected to be the crowning moment of his expedition and his life. From the vantage point just ahead, all of science and geography had prepared him to see the watershed of the Columbia and beyond it, perhaps a great plain that led down to the Pacific Ocean. Instead, there were mountains. They weren't just mountains. Quote, immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us, Lewis wrote, and their tops partially covered with snow. According to historical geographer John Logan Allen, this moment atop the Lemhi Pass, where he looked out and saw the Rockies, stretching as far as he could go this way, as far as they could go that way. This moment was when the geography of hope gave way to the geography of reality. And they had to figure out, what are we going to do? We were charged by the very President of the United States to find this route. And all we did was find some mountains and no way through. A, everything we've done to this point to come upriver has gotten us to right here, and we did it well. Did you know that they only had one person on this whole expedition die in the harsh conditions? But he didn't die because of the harsh conditions. He had a ruptured appendix. And that's what he died from. They had a few guys that had to court-martial that got into the wine storage one time. But by and large, these 38 people were experts at what they were doing. They did it well. And they had not done anything wrong. No one out of this group put the mountains there. But there the mountains are. So what do we do? Do we go back to the president and tell him, we did just what you told us to do. We went up the river. We found where it began. The little trickle of stream and stood on both sides of it. And there it was. We did that. And there's no passageway. Sorry. We're going to go home now. That's not what they were set out to do. They were sent on a mission to discover the passageway to the West Coast. And so Lewis and Clark led their team to retool and repurpose, but to keep the same mission. And that's where we're at as a church. Our culture has changed. I heard the Bible study group out in the fellowship hall this morning talk about you know, it's not like it used to be when being a Christian and going to church on Sunday was kind of a normal, expected deal that people didn't do stuff. They didn't plan things on Sundays because it was church day. Even Wednesday nights were held sacred because everybody went to church on Wednesday nights. Well, it's just not like that anymore. And you can't wear your Jesus clothing into work every day, and you can't have your Bible there on your desk every day, and you can't have things up on the wall in a lot of places because our culture says no. This Christianity thing, that's okay for you, but don't put it on anybody else. And what we're talking about is the mission of the church, and we saw the video, the mission of the church is the gospel. 
What we studied all through Acts was the launching of the gospel into the world. The mission of the church has not changed. So they sold their canoes and bought horses. They lived with an Indian tribe for a long time and learned how to weather the Rocky Mountain winters, and they proceeded on. There was this little teenage girl named Sacagawea that played such an amazing part in their success. They got there. They got to the other end of the world and found the passageway and mapped it out. If you go through the mountains here, if you take this valley here, if you go over this hill here, but they found a way to get all the way from the east coast to the west coast. But they changed their plans drastically along the way. There are things that we don't know about what's ahead of us as a church, but there are things that we do know. Let me go back to the source, our Scripture. Acts 1.8. Again, I'm using very familiar passages to you today. Acts 1.8 simply says, He said, He, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs of which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Wow. And that's not just a casual statement. That's Jesus making an imperative statement. The language there, the way it's structured in the Greek, it is an imperative. You must realize this. You will be my witnesses. Not, you, you don't even have a choice. Jesus didn't give the guys a choice. Well, some of you, how would you like to go? And No. The Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon you and bring the authority of God into your walk, into your life, into your words, into your actions, and you will be my witnesses here, there, there, and way out there. We know that to be true. This is what we also know in Matthew, the end of Matthew in 28, right before Jesus was raised into the heavens, He gave this commission, another imperative statement, to the followers who were there with him. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Another imperative statement, but it's got a how-to with it also. Go and make disciples. That's how you do it. Baptize and teach. That's how you do it. This is more than just knowledge. This is obedience. Go, baptize, teach, make disciples. There is a promise and a bonus with this. Not just an imperative statement alone, not just some how-tos, but there's a prize and I will be with you. That's what's going to make the going and the doing and the teaching and the baptizing and all of that stuff, that's what's going to make it worthwhile. I will be with you. Church, as the Lord moves us, His church, into the coming year, 
Will we see great strides? Will we see great things happen? I don't know yet. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for some particular things that we're going to see. What do we have? Where do we begin? Wherever it is, we're not alone. There's some new ministries that some of us have talked about, some things. We want to do something with youth, okay? We've got some 12 and up-year-olds that need someone to invest in them, to guide them in their spiritual walk. Are you ready? Is God asking you to do that? Do you know someone that you need to invite to come in here so that they can bring what they've got? The youth need this. I hope to see something move in that direction this year. Not only the youth, but the chosen generation. My seniors, I'm not talking about graduating high school here. I'm talking about you've got mileage. My chosen generation, I would love to have a person come alongside them and minister to them and train and equip them to continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ through our church. You're not through yet. No one's putting the senior adults out to pasture. No one's saying you're too old to do anything. Just sit back and let us handle it. Not happening in this church. Our largest group of people are my age and older. I'm not through, and I need good company. Get ready. We've, we've talked about a bus ministry. We've got the bus running finally. Well, we could take our folks and go do this, and the, the kids have used it, and the ladies have used it, and we could, you know, we've had people here from some of the senior citizen facilities locally say, would you come and pick us up? You used to do this all the time. Would you come do this again so we can go shopping? And We've got a tool there. We should put it to use, and we will more so. But it's going to take you to make it work. Not only the bus ministry, oh, VBS. How many of you love VBS? Nobody's raising their hands. Wait, one, two, seven, eight, nine. Okay, a lot of people love VBS. We're going to have a VBS this summer. Marcia and I have talked about it. She's already given me some possible date for VBS in June. We know where the material is going to come from for us to use. We're going to be coming to you. Marcia wants to do a daytime VBS, not a nighttime VBS, because more of the community kids can come during the day when they're out before dark. We've got plans to do a VBS this year. I'd also like to see us do a retreat for adults only, no kids. Some of you have already thought, wait, wait, wait. What do I do with my kids? Not my problem, that's your problem. But <laughs> I'm thinking it would be nice if our adults, all ages, young adults, median adults, older adults, if we could get away on a Friday and a Saturday. We won't go too far so we don't spend all the time driving. But if we could get away for a day and a half and just pray together and play together and share with each other. I want to do an adult retreat. But it's not just the new things. We've got a ton of regular things that we're already doing. Look at all that up there. We've got, you know, all kinds of things. Food pantry and worship team 
and the healing hearts and outreach ministry and the children's thing that's going on even right over there and man day and, and women's prayer. We've got a lot of stuff already going on. Dear Lord, bless these things, strengthen these things and let them grow and be even stronger. The other night we scared Keelan to death at man day. He's like, I'll bring some chicken. Okay, he's new at leading man day. He brought 10 pieces of chicken. 10 pieces? That's like Harry and I. We had 17 men at Manday. That's the largest group we've ever had. It was tremendous. We had good conversation. We had a lot of laughter. We always do. We had a good time in the Lord together. But you know what? I don't want the goal of Manday or any of our other current ministries to be about just getting more numbers. I want us to be about going deeper in our pursuit of God together and maybe doing some other things together. That's where I see the Lord taking us in the next year. Key factors. First things first. How do we begin? How do we get all this stuff going on? Because, see, we have groundskeeping and financial things we haven't even talked about yet. But what else do we have? We need, we need to be careful because there's a danger here of just making a list of a bunch of new programs and goals and just get busy. I read once where the church today and this culture that we live in that we don't know what to do with, we think if we just do it louder and do the same things over again, but louder and stronger, it'll work. But it's not going to work. We're not the church of 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. We're the church today, and we have a new culture to work within. And it should be challenging to us. It should be refreshing to us. We don't have to do the same old things, but some of the things we've done are good. Abram didn't have to forget about his life before moving into the territory that he didn't know. He took that knowledge with him. Joshua didn't leave behind all the experiences that they'd had in the wilderness. They took that with them across the river into something entirely new. They had to be adaptable. They had to be ready. They had to move forward. The danger is not to just get busy. That's not going to be helpful. might even just be harmful. We can get so busy doing stuff that we don't see what God wants us to do. That's a danger. It's wrong for a church not to grow. We are a living organism. We quit growing, we're dead. That's the science, right? You quit growing, you're dead. We're not a dead church. We're not even on life support. Oh, we've taken a couple of shots in the last five years, but we're not dead. We're not on life support. We're ready to move. God has done a lot to restore the ones who are here and to bring in new faces. God is ready to move. And we need to not be satisfied. It'd be like a tree with no roots under it easily toppled by the wind, producing no fruit at all, 
That's what it is if we don't grow. But if we grow, we put the roots down deep. And so this is what I, your pastor guy, in talking with both Brandon and Harry and some of the rest of you, this is what I want. You've asked me to be the lead shepherd. I hope you trust me because I love you dearly. I'm not going to do anything to harm you. But this is what I want. I want discipleship to be number one for us in 2024. Everything we do, we need to make sure that discipleship is at the core of what we're doing. What do you mean by that, Ken? Well, let me tell you what I'd like to see. I'd like to see 20 people in our congregation, and it can be more than that, but definitely I would like to see 20 people in our congregation willing to be trained how to disciple and willing to invite another person. That would be 20 more. And commit to them for six weeks to meet once a week and talk about this is how you pursue faith. And we're going to do it relationally together. Because in discipleship, relationship is the key factor. You don't do discipleship without relationship. So if I could get 20 people to commit to six weeks meeting with somebody that the Lord has laid on their heart, and it might be somebody you already know, it might be somebody who's already a believer, but you know what? We're going to start with just some real basic discipleship. And if you would commit to meet with that person for six weeks, if you're not sure, okay, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I do. You know, what would I say? How would I go? That's what I'm here for. I will train you. I will meet with you. And we'll go through the material together. And then I will send you out to go find that person that God's laid on your heart. It could be someone else in our church. It might be someone else outside of our church. But God's really laid them on your heart. You know, I don't have a problem with that. We're not bound by these walls. I release you to go out, to go ye therefore, and make disciples. You know what I wish we had also? When someone at the end of the service walks the aisle, having just given their heart and life to Christ, I would like to have a team of eight to ten people, guys and girls, ready to have that person to be discipled with. That I would just simply say, okay, you, come on down here. I got a job for you. Okay, you, come on down here. I've got a job for you. And match you up right there before the service is even over. And I've got a team of people that are willing that are able and that are anxious and ready to come alongside someone in relationship for six weeks. You know what part of your training is going to be? Is teaching them how to disciple someone also. So that at the end of the year, I don't have 20 people who are committed to discipling someone, but now I have 40. Can you see how this is supposed to work? 
maybe in 2025 as we go into that year, we have 40 people ready to disciple someone else, to be in relationship, to commit to them, to open your heart and your life to them and to exchange. When I meet with my guys that I meet with now, I tell them, this is, we don't hang out together because I'm so smart and you need my knowledge. I don't have wisdom, I have mileage. And I have too many stories. But I need their insight into Scripture too. They read the Bible different from how I read the Bible. And my folks that I meet with, they teach me as I am teaching them. And together we grow deeper in our walk and in our faith. Folks, it's exciting to do that. It really is. It's not scary. You make it scary by staring at the mountains and not remembering the mission. The hardest thing that we have to do with a group of explorers in the faith who have committed, we will see this mission through. And then I see that all they're really doing is being comfortable around the campfires in the familiar territory. Folks, in the coming year, I'm going to ask some of you to be uncomfortable, to try new things, to do new things, to go new places, to be a different person in your faith, because that's what God wants. He's got you to where you are. Thank you. Things that you've done as a church, we've got a rich history. In the coming year, we're going to celebrate a big anniversary of this church. But that's not where we finished. That's where we began. Forward is where we go. So, here's the invitation. Come with us. I'm using us in the pastoral plural here. Come with us into 2024. Come because you see what it is in the land that you know not of. That we're going to go places. Come with us because you want to see what's there. Come with us because you want to see what's across the river into the land of promise. Like Joshua in the Hebrew nation. Come because the mission of God has not changed. Even if the mountains are in the way, the mission is still the same. Get from here to here. Get from where we are in our walk with the Lord to where God wants us to be as His church. The mission, the gospel, has not changed. Come with us, not because you want control, but because you want to follow and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Come go with us because the Lord bids you come. Within our Baptist tradition, we always offer an invitation time. We sing a song. We try not to make it too uncomfortable for you. But if you want to pray about something, come. The altar is open for you to pray. If you want to say to someone, I need to know about this Jesus. I'd like to give my life to Christ. Come. I'll talk with you a second. I'll pass you off to someone else. We'll initiate that process. I want to come and join the church. We had a couple come down last week. Say, I want to come join the church. Good, come. 
I might just ask you, are you already being stirred by the Lord for 2024? I know that's a lot for the preacher to hope for just on the first day of vision casting. But maybe God's already been busy in your heart and mind about where you're going to go ahead with your walk in faith. Come. Let me know. Come see me right here. Ken, I can talk to you when you're out there after church. Yep, you can. No, not as many people will see you if you do it out there. But you know what? If you come and tell me this is what I think God is doing, this is where I see God moving me, and you come and tell me right down here, all these folks are going to see you, and they're not going to make fun of you, and they're not going to belittle you, and they're not going to think, oh, what are they up to? They're always trying to show off. No, they're going, hear me, church. You're under instruction now from the pastor guy. They're going to begin praying for you. Dear Lord, there's my friend. I don't know what they're saying to the pastor, but Lord, I want you to bless them. Dear Lord, there's a person, I'm not even sure I know their name, but I want you to bless them because you know what's going on in their heart. Come because Christ bids you come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a sense of your presence, a sense of your power, a sense of your purpose. We are to be your messengers of the good news. Help us to do this as a body of believers, as your church. Lead us forth into a land that we may not know about, into a a promised land that is filled with dangers and filled with challenges, and yet we go because you have bid us go. Move in our hearts today, Father. Prepare us for what you're going to do in the coming year as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.